0: Welcome to the Compassion Initiative podcast. My name's Stan Steindl, and I'm currently in Sparkle, New York, at the Compassionate Mind uh, Summit and Retreat. Um, had a great time here at the at the summit, organised by Dennis Turch and and Laura Silverstein Turch. Uh, spending a lot of time with some of the um, compassion researchers and practitioners from around the world. It's been a, a wonderful time. And if you're a reader of compassion related research, you will surely know the name Marcella Matusch. Um, Marcella has had a, a, a wonderful career uh, researching uh, shame and shame memories, uh, compassion and compassionate mind training uh, and I'm delighted to spend the next uh, several minutes having a chat to her about her wonderful career. So, welcome, Marcella. Hello, Stan. Hello. Uh,
1: and thank you, thank you so much for having me in this uh, in your podcast, which is something that I've been following uh, with, oh. um, yeah, with great interest. Yeah. Um, your conversations that you've been having with other. Um guests have been very inspiring and meaningful. So I'm delighted to be here as well.
0: Delighted to have you. Thank, Thank you th- so much. Thank you very much. So I just thought we might just have a, a, a just a general chat about you and your career and and perhaps some of the the highlights for you and and maybe to any at the end there any any sort of suggestions or, or recommendations that you might even have clinically or or in, in the world yeah. of of um compassion and compassion focused therapy. But I thought it'd be really interesting to hear. I, I don't know much about really where it all began for you. So yeah. I, I suppose I'm I'm really interested to hear, first of all, how did you get into psychology but also some of the really early kind of shame and shame memories mm-hmm. work and 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 perhaps eventually moving into compassion can you tell us that story
1: yes i i i will try and tell you that story (laughs) in a short amount of time um yeah so my interest in psychology was um it started i think very early on um i was i had a um i was torn between uh, being a psychologist or Mm. a journalist actually oh okay so i could have been you know having this whole different career at the moment yeah but um both um both these interests this interests of mine were related to you know um, connection with other humans you know understanding mm. um why we think the way we think why we feel the way we feel why we behave the way we behave mm. so I'm, I've am i been always very interested in humanity um, and um, getting to know more and understand more um, what lies behind our behaviours mm. um, and what connects us as, as, as humans and um, so yeah and then I think the decision um to go into psychology came because I actually I have a, a, a aunt mm-hmm. that's a psychologist oh. and and um I admire her very much and it's I, I began to understand how I actually could um, use this um, interest that I have in um uh, how does the human mind work and um to help people. Mm. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so that's how I came into psychology and I never felt for one minute that I had chosen the wrong path, mm-hmm. so. Uh, and then, so I did my degree at the University of Coimbra and I really wanted to continue my studies and I was very fortunate to have uh, an incredible mentor, uh, Professor José Pinto back there. He's still. Um, uh, my mentor and a very good friend of mine, and um, he actually, he was the one um, introducing me to Paul Gilbert. Mm-hmm. So there's, that's where the whole story actually begins. So back in, I think, 2005, um, Paul came to, José invited Paul to come to Portugal. Uh, and back then, I was already very interested uh, in shame. So I knew I wanted to do my PhD in shame. Mm. Uh, and so that's when i met paul um and uh and it's it came out of one of those uh meetings with him that the the path um that uh, i would probably follow in this research would be to look at shame experiences and shame memories because even though there had been for the past two decades a lot of research uh, showing how um, n- poisonous shame can be mm. um, in terms of human psychological well-being and functioning and development. There had, had The research into um, actually the impact of shame experiences, especially experiences that occur early in life, had never been explored. Mm. Um so, yeah, so this is where the research, the research question uh, happened. If you want to know, and I think you were also interested in that, about why shame? Why was mm. I already.
0: That was the next question that was in yeah. my mind. Yeah, you yeah. felt you, you, you decided down the psychology path, and we're so grateful that that, that decision happened uh but then later on yeah it does sound like sh- the the topic of shame drew you as well what 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 was that about yeah
1: if you don't so don't mind sharing a bit no, about that no i don't no no not at all so uh, i've so throughout all my life i've mm. been dealing i dealt throughout all my life with a, a physical condition called hyperhidrosis which mm. means that I, it's, I sweat from the palms of my uh, hands and feet. Mm. And it's something completely uncontrollable. Um, uh, and even though I, you know I always felt accepted and safe and not judged by my close um, family and friends, throughout all my life, this bodily uh, characteristic of mine mm. um, was a source of feelings of you know being different. Um, flawed in some way and a source of shame and mm-hmm. vulnerability to me in, in some instances. Um, so I think that's when when I read Paul's book mm-hmm. um, way before I met him
0: um, Which particular book are you referring uh, to?
1: Shame, interpersonal, behavioral, cultural uh, I'm not getting the title totally right and psychopathology I think it's
0: oh, okay. Um, yeah.
1: and yeah. it's just, you know the whole modeled the way, the evolutionary biopsychosocial model that he proposed about shame. It's just, you know, there was a connection there. It, it was just so meaningful. And mm. I knew that that was what I wanted to, mm. to do mm. uh, because I wanted to study more about shame, um, to understand it better, but also to um, learn and try to, um, with my research, help people. Mm. that have um, shame experiences and that suffer uh, in their life mm. from shame-related uh, problems.
0: So actually, before we move into perhaps some of the research that you've done, would, would you mind just kind of defining it for us a bit? The, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what, what is shame? Or, and when you refer to shame experiences, shame memories, mm-hmm. what, how, how would you kind of describe all of that for us?
1: Yeah, so shame, according to this view, shame is an evolved uh, self-conscious emotion. So it's an emotion that uh, actually arises from us being a um, self-aware, identity-forming, highly social species. And it's it's an emotion that is linked to this um, sense of um, how we exist or others so it's related to um, a sense of existing and living in a negative way in the mind of the others mm. um, and uh, that others in some way uh, may uh, have negative feelings about us or think um, not seeing us in a positive way um, and also um, and this is what we call external shame but it's mm. also even though it is um, especially related and emerges from this sense of not being attractive uh, socially in the eyes of others, it is, it's also related to this very private feeling uh, about um, personal inferiority and um, how the self evaluates the self. Mm. Um, so this sense of external shame, this sense of not being accepted, not being valued, uh, not being um, uh, seen in a positive way in the eyes of others can then be internalized mm-hmm. uh, in what we call internal shame. And then when ha- that happens, then um, one uh, starts to evaluate and see the self also in a negative light. and have, mm. And that can uh, come with very, very negative emotions directed at the self, such mm. as anger, frustration, anxiety, um, mm.
0: yeah. Mm. Um, so there, there is the sort of kind of external and internal elements to that. The mm-hmm. external element is how others, we think others might be seeing us and mm-hmm. seeing us in a negative light, or and, and but then there's this very painful, piece around our own internal shame that we see ourselves also in a negative kind of light and and, um, that can be associated with very very difficult emotions and and other feelings shame, by the sounds of it shame kind of can incorporate or be textured with perhaps um, all sorts of different emotions anger versus anxiety
1: that's one of the interesting things about shame and one of the things that came out of our research is that shame is not this pure um emotion you know that when it arises it's just shame no shame when it arises in us it usually um most times it it, it comes infused with many other emotions mm-hmm. uh with sadness with anxiety mm-hmm. with sometimes even uh, guilt with fr- with frustration with envy it comes there's this mixture mm. of uh, emotions that can come up with shame, and it's one of the reasons why also for some people uh, it's difficult to um, notice that what's the what they are feeling is actually shame.
0: I see. Yeah, um, they notice these other more prominent or or s- um, observable emotions, but behind that is driving yeah. is that the shame is the driver.
1: Yes, exactly. Mm. So there's this fusing with other mm. emotions.
0: People ah. might be really expressing anger or aggression, but it's it's driven by shame. By shame, yeah.
1: exactly. Mm. And I think something that I haven't said yet, and I think it's very important to 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 understand is is that shame, as all other human emotions in terms if you look at them in this evolutionary biopsychosocial perspective, is an adaptive emotion. So ah. Uh, shame actually is connected um, to these innate um, motives that humans have that mm. humans have to form attachment uh, to carers and respond and seek uh, um, attachment relationships, to belong to groups, uh, and to um, seek out um, or fight for a social status and a social position, Mm. and it doesn't mean that you have to be in a higher or a dominant, it's about not being in a lower social status, so what shame is all about not being seen in a lower social status than other people, so in, in evolutionary terms shame emerges from these innate motives to belong and from attachments. Which are linked uh, evolutionarily to this very intrinsic need humans have to be seen positively in the mind of the others. Mm. Because back when we lived in prehistoric, um, you know, our prehistoric human ancestors. If they were actually, if they weren't seen by others in a positive way, if they did something that was, you know, uh, seen as a a, um, a behavior that was socially unacceptable or if they were rejected, excluded or persecuted, that would mean death. Mm. Even as, uh, as, you know, when we are born, we are highly dependent on um, the way our carers are able to, uh, form attachment relationships with us and therefore care for us and so we came when we are born We developed all across evolution these abilities to be highly tuned and sensitive to signals of social affiliation and care from others mm. So that's why we're so sensitive so sensitive for, for, to, for Facial expressions to voice tones since the moment we are born because those signals mean whether we are safe or threatened, Mm. uh, whether we might or not survive uh, Mm. in evolutionary terms Mm. and socially. So even though um, nowadays uh, uh, a threat of exclusion doesn't mean necessarily most times death, the way our brain responds to it in our the way our threat system is triggered um is if it, uh, is if, if um uh, that actually represented a huge threat to our psychological integrity or even physical integrity yeah. um and mm. um another thing that is connected just to um try to finish this <laughs> evolutionary uh, perspective is that the why is shame? Um, specific or um, some authors uh, believe that shame uh, arises especially or only in humans. Is a, a specific self is self conscious emotions that you that that might be unique in humans, and that's because um across evolution we've developed because of all of this that I've been telling you about we've developed these higher order cognitive abilities, um to actually have self-awareness, uh, form a social identity and a self-identity, uh, think about what's happening in others' minds. So we have this theory of mind that allows us to think and hypothesize about what other people are thinking and feeling about us. And also we are able to think and feel about, um, think about our emotions, think about our thoughts and se- make self-evaluations about ourselves. So it's in the... Um, Interaction of all of these evolved human motives and needs and abilities that shame comes to be as a, a very important emotion that has been crucial to our survival as human beings uh, and that determines how we navigate social relationships in everyday life.
0: Yeah, I think the thing that really strikes me is, is that, um, you know, some of our most, main, uh, most painful human experiences emotionally cognitively and so on um really are part of our deeply adaptive ways of 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 living and i i had a, a kind of a revelation recently which is probably obvious to you but um you know and that is that uh you know really evolution uh is really designed to help us to survive and reproduce it's, mm-hmm. it's not designed to make us happy.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and shame is like a perfect example of that. It, 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 it was designed in us to help us to survive, stay part of the group, have a sense of belonging, have a sense of social status or, or position at least, safe position in the group, um, and then to, to, to you know go on to reproduce, I guess, and, and not really to, to kind of help us just sort of be happy. Yeah. Um, so that's really fascinating. You're
1: completely, that's, you just stated it perfectly. Yeah, exactly. It's that. Because if you're not valued in the eyes of others, then you, you won't be chosen. You know, mm. you won't be chosen to be their friend, to be their partner, to be their lover. Um, you you will be to be their colleague. Um, so that mm. is, that represents a, a huge threat um, to our um social identity and to our own self-identity and mm. and so even though it has this amazing evolutionary adaptive value it comes with a lot of um suffering
0: a lot of suffering yeah um just before we go on a little aside for anyone who might be listening we we have a um you just happen to have a, a vanity fair uh magazine on on the <laughs> t- coffee table and it has a picture of idris elba on the front and I notice you reaching for him occasionally. <laughs> Is he like your compassionate friend?
1: Mm, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. So I don't know him. So, okay. <laughs> uh, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting Kijzelba. No. Uh, uh, but I, 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 you could be my compassionate
0: yeah, friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's not worry about that for now. Um, <clears throat> so okay, so that's really very interesting. That that's helped us to get. Our head around kind of shame. What about your research then mm. around that? So, so you've you've had a, a, a many um, wonderful research contributions around shame experiences and, and shame memories and really trying to understand the phenomenology of all of that and and, and the components and and so on and, and I know there's a lot to it. Um, and but how would you? you know how would you sum all that up a little bit you know like what what is the 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 narrative through all of that mm-hmm. that that your i think it was your phd by the sounds of yeah. it and and then some subsequent research you know what what's mm-hmm. give it, give us the story there
1: yeah of course yeah so we were interested in understanding whether um shame experiences from early childhood and adolescence that happened both within the family with one's caregivers or uh, in the wider social domain, such as with peers, teachers, uh, friends, strangers. How do these uh, experiences operate in our autobiographical memory? How uh, they become structured? um, And what's their impact on um, uh, how we come to see ourselves, their impact on our self-identity, how we relate to others? and on our vulnerability um to uh, um depression anxiety stress so psychopathological mm. indicators mm. later in life um, and then we were also interested in um what m- may protect against um, mm. these early shame experiences so yeah so this is like the brief <laughs> very brief summary of the research questions that that were behind our 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 research and so if you want to just to ha- try and give a, a brief outline of mm. uh, the main findings that we, that we had. So the, the, one of the key findings was the one about shame experiences uh, acting as trauma memories. Mm. So early experiences, early experiences of shame um, can indeed be structured in uh, our memory as traumas. So they operate as traumatic memories, such as if, for example, you were, you, you were robbed or mugged in, in the street or you had mm-hmm. a car accident. So they are experiences that um, when in our memory they are able, they operate as this trauma condition of emotional memories that when triggered that they can elicit intrusions. Uh, they have kind of this flashback quality to it. Um, They are associated with hyper-arousal symptoms, so they elicit a lot of threat-related emotions when they are activated, Mm -hmm. Um, and the emotions that were also fused in the shame experience that people have. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they are associated with avoidance, um, both uh, behavioral avoidance, avoidance of situations related to what triggered shame, but also um experiential avoidance, so avoidance of um emotions, um, shame-related emotions and thoughts about um, the experience itself and also to dissociation, mm. uh, uh, which is all a part of what um this what is what is this thing of a traumatic experience and a trauma memory.
0: Would it be sort of right to say that it 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 sort of is a a social self conscious trauma?
1: Yes. Know? Yes.
0: Relational trauma. Yes, like exactly.
1: That. It's 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 um it's perceived now and seen as a a social trauma. Mm.
0: Um,
1: it it becomes central to our um, to the way we then relate to others and start to see ourselves because. This is was another finding was that mm. so these higher, these shame traumatic memories, uh, were then associated to increased levels of external shame. So they, people that had these traumatic shame experiences, they tend to tended to evaluate themselves as is existing negatively in the minds of others. They t- would tend to think that others. Um, have negative th- thoughts and feelings about them, mm. and would reject them and exclude them, but they also tend to internalize that mm. into um, what we call internalized shames. So they would then be have a high higher propensity to uh, see themselves uh, in a negative way and engage in um, uh, self critical um, processing. So they would become, uh, they would be more likely to be highly self-critical.
0: So the, there's, you're describing, is that the two bits then? The first bit is those traumatic qualities or, or some of the clusters of mm-hmm. or, of trauma symptoms. Uh, and then the second is that it becomes central to, yeah. to how one sees themselves, mm-hmm. is that?
1: Yes. So the one bit is these traumatic qualities, then um, how it then becomes linked to how you currently uh, see ah, yourself it's... and see others, and then the other bit is that actually, it's, it's these traumatic qualities of the shame memories are um, they they increase and they magnify um, uh, one's vulnerability to um, experience symptoms of depression and anxiety, right? Um, and also. Uh, paranoia, and the other bit to this, which I think was uh, a little bit of what you were um, uh, explaining, um, is the the centrality of these memories to our identity. So these shame trauma memories, then the other big, uh, you know, the other key finding was that they actually they become central to our self identity. To they become seen by people as this central turning points in one's life narrative um, to the way they see themselves, the way they see others, the way they um, look at past experiences and also the way they um, start to have expectations about what can happen in the future. So they become this central to self-identity and one's life narrative.
0: and and I think I mean the thing is that we can all kind of relate to that really, can't we? I mean, as you're speaking, I'm recalling quite vividly little incidents from you know age eight or ten or uh, where you, the, the 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 memory comes to mind, and yes, you you sort of kind of grimace in the face or something because you can recall that that feeling that that comes along with that, and and it's in in some little way. I mean, that's you know age seven is like 40 years ago for me and yet it's still there and and i can recall it and feel it really and and even just little ones like i remember being um this is the one that's popped to mind (laughs) here i'm not sure why i'm revealing it but anyway um you know i can remember being at a scout's theater night you Mm -hmm. know i was i was a cub and, and and in a scout den and i they were the theatre was on and I was on the lights and my single job was to switch the lights back on when (laughs) when the play was done Mm -hmm. and I stood my post but I really had to go to the bathroom but I stood my post like a sentry and um, you know desperately holding on and then eventually the play finished and I switched the lights on and (laughs) whoosh out it all came, mm. and I just remember, you know, the shame of yeah. that. I mean, I my my parents actually handled it very well. Like you said, you know, like a, you were mentioning with with your your hands and stuff. You know, my parents handled it very well. We went home. We didn't live that far away. I got changed. We came back. You know, blah blah. blah. Mm-hmm. But yet, still, that yeah. feeling lingers, and it's just a it's just a little moderate sort of example, but. Um, we all have those, don't we? Yeah. It's it's really universal yeah, those that's, experiences. That's
1: that's yeah. That's the one of the most interesting things about uh, um, you know those eight years of my life that that I dedicated to looking into this. I interviewed a lot of hundreds, literally hundreds of people. Mm um and the interesting thing is that not only these experiences are ubiquitous in our lives so mm. they happen to everyone they are universal they happen mm. to everyone um and even though they can be different so there are you can either have you know like you very intense traumatic shame experiences and um that's of course very you know obvious that uh, that's mm. a shame experience yes. that can be but what was very very interesting to us was finding that you don't need to have what people people usually associate with a traumatic shame experience, uh, such as abuse, you know, being mm. emotionally, mm. physically or sexually abused to have a shame experience. You no, know? mm. shame experiences um, are usually um, common experiences, mm. you know experiences that we have in our everyday lives you know Mm. being not chosen to play soccer Mm. you know uh being not invited to a party uh, not for example being negatively compared to others for example by a teacher you know Mm. in a in a classroom in front of everyone Mm. or having a parent that simply even though you are an A student you know doing know, everything right at school, you never really get their approval. Mm.
0: So it can be very subtle even.
1: Exactly. So it's not it doesn't have to be um uh, uh necessary it, it, it is many times a rejection mm. or a criticism or or abuse mm. but uh shame arises um many times in these mm. more subtle Uh, experiences where we actually feel that others do not value us Mm. or um, don't feel you know, don't love us or don't care for us or Mm. we're not good enough so it doesn't have to be this was the very interesting thing so it doesn't have to be this huge trauma Mm. to have an impact on your life and then the other thing is that It's not one experience. So for some people, they Mm. will report like a huge, significant experience. But for other people, it's mild things that happened every day. Many times. Many times. Or even a mixture of experiences, you know, Mm. that happened um, when they were little. Mm. All with the same theme Mm -hmm. of, for Mm -hmm. example, you know, uh, being inferior or Mm. not good enough, you know. Mm. And they felt that from their parents and from the teachers and from the so it's really it's it's very interesting mm. uh, because mm. uh, it's not straightforward mm. and this just shows how complex um, our mind is in how, in the way it integrates these experiences mm. in our sense of social and self identity I think
0: yes and and in some ways that will become something of, of a pathway of, of what to do about it though which I'll I'll ask you about in a sec that that this idea that actually it is a part of what it is to be human and and so therefore that common humanity element perhaps can somehow sneak into to what we do about it but I just wanted to ask you just in terms of you know your body of work and and your phd and this is a bit of putting you a bit on the spot I didn't didn't preempt this for you before we started talking but like What What would you say w- would be a, a sort of a, you know, a, a great paper for people to look at to start, mm. you know, if, if they were wanting to explore your work? So this, mm-hmm. I, I am putting you on the spot about your work. I know you're a very humble person. But if, if you were to suggest, you know, one of your papers or something like that, what, what would you say is a good place to start for mm. people to dive in?
1: Well, that's... Uh... <laughs> Just one paper. (laughs) Yes, I think I would, um, because it's uh, the one that, um, you know, just led the way, Mm. um, I would say my first paper, the paper Shame uh, as Traumatic Memories.
0: Right, yeah. Uh, Is that the title? Shame as Traumatic Memories? Yes. Yep. And that's you and José?
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, and then the following one is, can shame memories uh, become key to self-identity? Okay, uh, so is, that's those, those two, two components. Yeah, so, and because everything then um, just uh, evolved from there. Um, another thing that I, that I think it's very important to say is that the fact that we all have these experiences and they are, you know, uh, that can have these very nefast deleterious effects in our uh, well-being, and um, you know, that doesn't mean that we all suffer uh, from them. Mm. So that was another thing that we were very interested in looking at. So why do if everyone has these experiences? Why how come for some people they they are much more pervasive and. Um, Mm. Damaging than so for what, others.
0: What did you find? What what is it that is sort of a buffer or yeah? So protected?
1: what we found was that uh, so if shame experiences happen with your caregivers, there are usu- usually um, they're they are more damaging to your self identity and they are more likely to become traumatic and have a new negative impact on on current well being. Um, So related to that on, you know, seeing it from the other light, what we found was that actually, if you have experiences of warmth and safeness within your family and in the wider social domain um, as a child, that is a huge buffer against Mm -hmm. the impact of these traumatic and central experiences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that um, acts as a protection. So this... Uh, uh, leads to feelings of social safeness and connectness to others, and mm. this actually protects us against um, the impact of these um, shame, traumatic, and sensual experiences.
0: So, not wanting to make this all about me, but um, uh, I was, I, I was I not going
1: to get there. <laughs> it's great that you're asking.
0: But but it, well, I, I, it just pops to mind that that's what sort of happened in my little example before. Was there was the, the shame experience. But there was also the warmth and safety, exactly. and, and so that, they, you know, so that that was the sort of the buffer, perhaps.
1: Exactly, and uh, that's what we found with um, in our studies, precisely. Mm. Um, and the other bit uh, that I think it's key, also, was the bit that I've been recently had the pleasure to have been, you know, working with you, Stan. Mm. Mm. <laughs> uh, so we uh, you know, we we developed this research collaboration looking at um, what can protect this you know continuing this work about what can protect against um, shame memories and uh, we've been looking at um, uh, how can compassion mm. actually um, be or act as an antidote to, to shame experiences so this is uh, some recent work that we've been doing and that I've been you know thrilled about and uh, something that I always wanted to do and so um, also publicly I would like to publicly <laughs> thank you and acknowledge the you know the the invitation that you uh, um a couple of years ago made me to you know have this collaboration and start working on this um yeah so do you want to talk about what we found? <laughs> well, I was hoping to interview you,
0: but that the um no, we our our honours students have been very very grateful to be able to have you as, as a mentor as well, and and that's right. We're particularly interested in self compassion, receiving compassion from others, the role of those sorts of flows in terms of uh, not only perhaps buffering the effects of shame memories but perhaps also this notion of the antidote later as well you know is there a way to sort of develop um well for example self-compassion so that it helps to soften some of those shame memories and some of the the pointier edges of you know, pointier emotional edges yeah. around around mm. the shame uh one of the reasons that i was really Keen to get you involved was your um, statistical <laughs> prowess, <laughs> and so we we did look at some path analyses and things like that. And this is where I'd throw it back to you. So what what's your sense of the the kind of the the, the results there? You know, in terms of that the role of perhaps self compassion.
1: Yeah. So I think um, so. What we found was um, not only your openness to receive compassion from others and self-compassion were um, negatively linked to this uh, shame, traumatic, and sensual memory. So individuals were higher in, um, they they showed higher levels of uh, self-compassion and also they were more able to receive compassion from others. They w- they would show, uh, they showed less um uh, traumatic qualities and centrality qualities of these shame memories, but very key, so after this we then looked at, okay, so how can self-compassion in particular actually um, protect against this, deleterious effects of shame on, in our case was we looked at um, both negative affects, so depressive symptoms, and also positive affects, so mm. feelings of safeness, and we, we, we found that, yes, your abilities, uh, your ability to be compassionate towards yourself, um, is a, a, um, a significant buffer against the impact of these shame traumatic memories and the centrality of these memories to identity uh, and the lack of uh, early safeness and warmth memories on um, later depressive symptoms uh, in life and also on feelings of positive affect so in a way if you are if you have these memories but you're able to be self-compassionate then you'll be less likely to experience depressive symptoms and more likely to feel safe and connected to others
0: yeah yeah wow it was interesting with the traumatic qualities of the shame memory wasn't it because that was a partial mediation if i remember rightly so Partly it's about self-compassion and partly it is about addressing those, those, traum- those memories yeah. themselves.
1: And there was something that we found throughout our other studies of ours is that the traumatic qualities, even though they might be moderated by other variables, such as, for example, feelings of social safeness, they are never fully mediated or moderated by them, which means that there's a, 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 a pathway there Mm. um and that might have to do with the, the traumatic qualities itself that mm. needs to be addressed so and um yeah that's that's a very important point that you're making there
0: okay so well this is fascinating stuff and um uh, of course your uh, your work has has continued to move on into lots of other areas and and in particular now uh you are very interested in compassion more broadly and mm-hmm. and cultivating compassion or uh compass- the compassionate mind uh n- well including to help with shame memories but also in a whole range of of broader sorts of ways and um so yeah i i guess i wondered about this next sort of phase that you've been working on with compassionate mind training and, and mm-hmm. various things and whether you can link that a little bit to some of the implications then mm-hmm. for people, especially clinically. I mean, as a, as a clinician myself, I'm very interested to kind of follow all of that, those developments and, and see what it means for, um, you know, therapy. So yeah, mm-hmm. what, what, where have things been going for you mm. more recently?
1: Yeah, so after all this work, um, I I it was um, evident to me that I wanted to um, go into compassion more deeply and mm. the healing effects and power of compassion not only to deal with uh, shame but also to deal with other um, the other the darkness of uh, the human mind and. Mm. Um, the suffering that we all experience yeah. so regarding our research on shame what i would um point out as you know uh key clinical implications um, uh, would be the importance of assessing these um experiences ah, yes. with clients with clients so yeah. um assessing them and targeting them when they reveal these mm. traumatic qualities and they um emerge as central to their identity mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and to their life. Narrative. It's
0: interesting you say that because even now you know at, uh, training programs in clinical psych for example don't spend heaps mm. of time mm. on shame or shame memories yeah. and yet like you say it's essential to at least assess it and work with it actually. Yes.
1: Yeah. And it's a it's a transdiagnostic emotion so is yeah. it's, it's an emotion it's a, a, an emotional experience that it's It's prominent throughout, uh, you know, regardless of...
0: Presentation. The the clinical Mm.
1: presentation, yeah. So, and uh, also, so not only um, assess and target these memories directly when they reveal these traumatic qualities, but how actually compassion, and in particular compassion-focused therapy and um, Mm. compassion-mind training um, might be and seem to be the the therapeutic approach that can directly uh, work with this um, cultivation of our compassionate self, our compassionate motivation and compassionate mind um, that can then um, buffer against the negative impact of these same experiences Mm. and cultivate Um, so not only help people regulate their threat system activation and their threat um, emotions related to this experience but also uh, the importance of cultivating um, through uh, compassion-based practices uh, our affiliative system which is Mm. um, something that we also found so it's not only about the threat, it's also how these experiences actually act as a block mm. to the development of our soothing, uh, safeness system. So, and compassion, um, and compassion mind training and practices allow not only for the development of this, um, uh, positive, um, this social, soothing affiliative system, but also, uh, the, the, the cultivation of the compassionate self might um provide people with uh, with the skills the competencies the attributes um that might be uh, central to deal with the uh, um, feelings of inferiority defectiveness
0: um. yeah because if you think about what you were saying earlier the um you know in a, in a sense around shame that is the unmet need shame mm emerges when people feel through an event or other experiences that they're not affiliated or they don't belong or they're not cared for in the minds of others and so it makes yeah really good sense to start to sort of kind of meet that need through you know developing the affiliative system developing compassion starting to move in that direction
1: yeah exactly yeah yeah that's exactly it's done. Yeah. Very well said. And, yeah. and the,
0: the nice thing that you've done is that it, it actually can happen, you know. Well, obviously, there are longer processes as well, but I, I know that you have been doing sort of various forms and lengths and, and you know, number of sessions for compassionate mind training, mm-hmm. even brief two hour sessions with a couple of weeks follow up and practices, you know, that mm-hmm. can make a big difference. Yeah.
1: Yes. So we've been working on so our recent research has focused on the, the impact of these core components of compassion mind training um, on psychological well-being um, and also physiological well-being. And we've, we found that in a brief two-week uh, intervention where we had a, a group face-to-face psychoeducation session and then participants were asked to practice. And try to embody their compassion self um, in their everyday life, uh, their everyday lives, and practice these core um compassion mind training exercises. Um, and we actually found that this not only improved uh their levels of compassion, self-compassion, compassion Um, their abilities to receive compassion for others, it decreases their their fears of compassion, Mm -hmm. their shame, Mm -hmm. uh, their um, self-criticism, their symptoms of depression and anxiety. Mm. Um, But it also um, uh, improved uh, their um, positive affect feelings, so Mm. feelings of safeness, Mm. of peacefulness, relaxation. um, And very importantly, um we found that just this brief 2 week uh, compassion mind training intervention had a positive impact on heart rate variability which is oh. a, a, an index of um our the ability of our parasympathetic system to regulate threat mm. and to self soothe uh, when facing um challenges mm. um so um, so mm. yeah, so with the the findings uh, of the latest literature point to this um, very powerful effect of compassion-focused therapy and compassion mind training um, in uh, protecting against uh, uh, shame, self-criticism, and a several a, a whole range of. Mm. Um, psychopathology related emotional problems. Mm.
0: The thing I really loved about that study of yours was the, the you picked up on the notion of embodiment yeah. as well and, and the way that I can't quite remember how you measured it, I'm sorry, but um, you you got people to kind of uh, self-monitor the um, the helpfulness I think it was or the the, the way they were able to, recall or remember mm-hmm. the practices and how helpful they were in their sort of daily life yeah. and the way that that sort of really brings about a this concept of embodiment you know that that if we can really start to embody move around yeah. think you know kind of feel breathe in a way that activates that that compassionate mind that 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 actually kind of helps just even that little bit more
1: yeah exactly so that, that was a, um, a very interesting finding for us, because we asked participants um, mm. for two weeks to track their own practice, so we were interested in uh, how did participants subjectively experience the CMT practices, the mm. Compassion Mind Training practices. So they filled out a diary where they, they, they rated the frequency. Mm-hmm. that they did their formal practices, how helpful they think the practices were, and then there were uh, uh, several questions about how they were able to act and feel as their compassionate self, so mm-hmm. to embody mm-hmm. compassionate mm-hmm. self, how soothing that was, what the impact that they had, how easy that was, several questions about that. And it was very surprising and, um, to us, uh, in a way, because uh, actually practice frequency, like formal practice, was only related with how easy it was for people to embody their compassionate self in everyday lives. What was key for change, uh, for developing the compassionate self, was actual people's ability to, in their everyday life, step into the shoes of their compassionate self. Yeah. activate that compassionate mind and act and feel as their compassionate self. Mm. Uh, so that's that's a, a that's a key um, uh, aspect to it all to mm. what actually makes a difference because when you we do these studies with interventions, you know, we find these effects, but actually what are the processes, where I what are the, the pro mm. what what's happening? Mm. Um, to explain that, so and mm. wh- in in our study, what we found was that it is in fact the ability of people to embody the compassionate self in their everyday life, and the fact also that they find the practices helpful and important and meaningful in their lives, mm. um, that has an impact uh, on actually, um, explaining the changes, um, after the training. So the yeah. fact that if they improve their well-being and
0: Mm -hmm. um and i think that that's a really very interesting clinical note as well for us because uh you know oftentimes in the therapy session there are opportunities to practice embodiment through Mm -hmm. chair work through getting up and moving about the room and Mm -hmm. and trying to to practice there But the very challenging thing I always find in in clinical work is translating all of that into the time between sessions and and sort of finding ways to to really help people embody that. Um, And those precious moments, really, where a person might be running through their mind with all sorts of self-criticism and then just out of nowhere comes this friendly voice, saying, just slow it down, hmm. breathe, let's just look at this in a different way, and, and that, those are sort of spine tingling moments when clients experience that, or when people experience yeah. that, and, and, um, and that's, that's that embodiment thing, I think, yeah. just uh, the, the mind, the body, recalling the practice, exactly. spontaneously, hmm. when, when the person Needs it most. Most now. I know that you've got lots of other things going on. I know you're very excited about bringing this stuff into schools, uh, and that we could talk for a whole <laughs> podcast on that project. I suspect because it's a massive project and and going to make a, a a big contribution. Um, and yeah, you know, there there's just so many things you're doing. You you really. Um, are making a, a, an amazing contribution. And I, I do know that you are very humble about these things, but um, we all thank you very much for the work that you do. And thank you very much for coming oh, on to our Compassion Initiative podcast.
1: Thank you so much, then. This was such fun. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Not as bad as you thought
1: no i never thought it was gonna be bad okay. i it was a it was great chatting to you about all of this i've i also feel like you know we could be chatting about research stuff as um you know research enthusiastics that we are and mm. the compassion enthusiastic that we are for more two hours mm. um uh, and this has been lovely it's thank you so much for having me it has been a pleasure Uh, to have this conversation with you and um, I also look forward, you know, to what the future uh, may bring.
0: Thank you. Good. Excellent. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Marcella. Wonderful. Thank you, Stan. Thank you. Bye.